With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hallelujah. Hello, everyone, everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. We are so blessed that you join us. Every time we get together around the Word of God, I get excited. Glory to God. It's hard not to get excited when you're talking about the Word of God, especially when you see God's hand operating in the earth today, operating and, and bringing things to pass that has been talked about for thousands of years. And we're going to go into that today. Really, from the beginning, things are happening right now in this earth. Jesus said the prophets desired to see the things which we see, but they didn't. Oh, that is, that's where we're going to start today. But first, let's honor the Lord our God in prayer. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you, thanking you, praising you, lifting up your word as first place, Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask for your blessing on this broadcast this day. We pray that your word goes forth through the miracle of the internet into all the earth, touching people's hearts changing their lives, bringing them to repentance and accepting Jesus as their Savior. Lord, that we can learn from the broadcast this day and witness to friends, family, and strangers, enlarging your territory. Father, we thank you that you are with this broadcast right now. Anoint the words and may all that is done be for your honor your glory, and your praise. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Shout amen, somebody. Join me in our confession of faith. Again, we do this each and every week. It's important to lay that solid foundation upon which we can build. Amen. Repeat these words after me. Oh, I believe 
in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from where he shall come soon to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, amen. We've been studying the possibility in answering the question, is God abandoning America? And we've gone through some in-depth sessions these past, I think it's three sessions. This is number four. And we're going to look at an answer today. I mean, we've, we've outlined different scenarios where God's hand is, you know, on America, the warnings, his turning his face away. And we've shown you, if you've missed any of these sessions, I highly, highly encourage you to go back to our archives and get them and catch up. Today, we're going to look at, is God removing the hedge of protection from around this land? And we're going to look at some scenarios that show he is. And we're going to look at why. Amen. And we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5. Really, let's look in verse 1, and we'll read down through verse... Ah, we're eventually going to make it down through verse 7, but let's, let's just go ahead and start reading. Isaiah 5, verse 1. Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved, touching his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. Now, remember, this book was written to Israel. We've covered how when Columbus sailed from Spain, there was persecution of Jews going on. And we haven't covered it yet. I'll probably get to that. Maybe that, that might be a good one for next time. I don't know. See how the Lord leads. But we've seen, I've seen and studied factual evidence that Columbus was really a Jew. And several members of his crew were Jewish. And at the time of his sailing, the Jews were being cast out of Spain and persecuted. And he believed God was leading him to make a path to the new world just as God made 
the land of Israel, the promised land, to lead his people out of Egypt, to give them a land to worship worship God in. And he believed that. And the day that he was supposed to leave, he delayed it for 24 hours because that was the day that the temple was destroyed and it was like extremely, you know, any business, anything that happened on that day was doomed to fail. So he deliberately waited another 24 hours to leave. And, and just all these, I don't like the word coincidences, but all these things lined up. And, you know, anyway, we're not going to go into what Columbus and the, the correlations and to Israel and the USA and all that. But I want you to see and understand, although Isaiah is talking about Israel, we can also interpret this to the United States of America. All right. So as I'm reading this scripture, keep in your mind, about America. So this is America, a fruitful hill. And God fenced it in, gathered out the stones of it, planted it with the choicest vine, built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a wine press in it. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes. In other words, Jesus taught, bring forth fruit. Now, when someone builds a vineyard and, and puts a wine press in and puts a hedge of protection and a fence around it, he's expecting to receive the fruits of the harvest. All right? Keep that in thought. He looked that it should bring forth grapes, fruit, but instead it brought forth wild grapes. Now, if you know the difference between a, a grape that you picked off a vine that's not being nurtured and taken care of as part of a vineyard and a grape you get from the store, the, the wild one is extremely sour. You want to spit it out of your mouth. Amen. Verse 3. And now, o inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, or we could be saying people of the United States, judge, I ask you, between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done to my vineyard that I have not already done? Therefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, why did it bring forth wild grapes? Now go to. I'm telling you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge around it, and it will be eaten up. And I will break down the wall of it, and it the vineyard, America, shall be trodden down, and I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no more upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and we're talking here about America, and the men of Judah, the United States, his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold, a cry. Now, why would God be just in tearing down the hedge of protection around the United States? Well, let's go back to original sin and look at some interesting correlations with Adam. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. 
And I'm not going to read the entire chapter for sake of time, but you can. But just go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God has already blessed him. All right? But here in verse 15, God took the man and put him, put him in the garden of Eden. So in order to put man in the garden, the garden already had to be there. Full provision was already there. Amen? And God put the man into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now if you go back to the actual Hebrew words, to dress it means to work in the garden, bring forth the fruit, you know, take care of the garden. To keep it means to guard it, to guard the garden. Now, why would God need a guard? Why would he need man to keep an eye out and guard the garden? Well, we know that the devil, Jesus said he's seen the devil fall like lightning and his tail drew a third of the angels with him. Amen. There's demons and the devil on the earth and God has this fruitful, bountiful garden. Now in a, a land laid waste, that fruitful area is going to draw attention. And there is no devils, no demons in the garden. But since God is giving man all of the authority over all of creation, he's telling the man, guard the garden. Don't let anything in here. Guard it. Verse 16. He says, the Lord God commanded the man. Now this is a command. He commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Every tree of the garden you shall eat of. That includes the tree of life. Amen? Isn't that in the garden? He says you can eat of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life. Just do not eat of this one tree. Now, if you tell a little three-year-old kid, you put a candy bar down on the table and toys on the floor and say, you can play whatever toy you want, just do not eat that candy bar, what is his attention going to be drawn to? Amen? It's just like people see a sign that says wet paint. What do they want to do? They want to touch the wall and see if it's wet or dry, don't they? But that's because there's rebellion in our heart. There was no rebellion in Adam's heart. He was doing what God said. He was taking care of the garden, eating freely of every tree in the garden except that one. In, just go over a little bit, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. 
And he said to the woman, okay, here's number one. Item number one I want you to see. How did this snake get into the garden if Adam is supposed to guard it? He's supposed to be keeping watch and not allow anything into the garden. But here the snake is in the garden. Therefore, what is that? What, what can you infer from that? Adam was failing in his job. Amen. He was not keeping guard. The snake is now in the midst of the garden. And he's talking to the woman. And you can read down in uh, verse 6, her husband was with her. So Adam is standing right next to Eve while this snake is in the midst of the garden, which he should not be there. Okay, now I could understand if a burglar breaks into a building and nobody knows it, and he makes it, say, up to the third floor or something, and the security guard is making rounds. He sees the burglar. There should be nobody there. Does the burglar say, hey, what are you doing here? Come on over here and have a cup of coffee. You know, can I buy you something out of the machine? Would you like to, you know, a bag of chips? Or is he going to pull out his gun and arrest him and get him out of that building? Here Adam is with his wife. This snake, which is not supposed to be in the garden, is here, and he's talking to Eve. She is talking to the snake. How many of you, if you had a wife and the burglar breaks into your house and starts talking with your wife, are you just going to stand there and, and say, you know, hey, this is cool, where'd you come from? Or are you going to grab the thief by the nap of the neck and take care of business? Adam didn't do any of that. And look up here in, what, in verse 1. The devil, the snake, says to the woman, Hasn't God said that you should eat from every tree of the garden? And the man, Adam, is letting the woman talk with the snake it says, well, we can, see, we can eat a, a, all the trees of the garden, but the fruit of this tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Now look at that. In the midst of the garden. It's in the middle of the garden. And obviously, it's right there. So this snake is in the midst of the garden. He's not on the fringes trying to get in. He's in. And God said, I, I, we can't eat of this one, nor should we touch it or we will die. Oh, the devil says, you will not surely die. God knows that in the day you eat from this one, your eyes will be opened, and then you'll be as gods, and you'll know good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes. Now, stop right there. In order for her to look at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in response to the promptings of the devil. 
she has to be facing that tree and observing that fruit, which means she has turned her back on the tree of life. She's turned her back on the tree of life and is observing and contemplating the fruit on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And she's observing it. Adam is with her, as we see in verse 6. So he's looking at it too. And what are they doing? They are pondering now what the devil has told them. They're looking at it. And look what it says. The woman saw that the tree, she saw, well, it looks like good fruit. I mean, this is looks the same as the other fruit on the other trees. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's desirable. She desired it. There's a desire in her heart to hold and have the fruit that God said you should not partake of. Satan cannot tempt you unless there's a desire there. So she took the fruit of it. She has not died yet. She took the fruit. She's holding it in her hands. Now she's feeling it. She's checking it out. She's looking it all over. It looks desirable. It looks good. And she ate it. And it was probably the sweetest sensation she had ever had. And she turned and gave it to her husband who was with her. And in disobedience to the word of God, he ate it. They were in agreement that God must have lied to them. And immediately the eyes of both of them were opened and the glory left and they knew they were naked. They knew they had sinned. Amen. If Adam had been on guard... Guarding the garden like God told him to keep it, the devil would not have been able to get into the midst of the garden. Not only did he see the devil, the serpent, in the midst of the garden, but he allowed this demon to talk to his wife instead of grabbing it by the neck and kicking it out. Then... When the devil told the woman that this fruit is desirable and she's looking at it, they had turned together their back on the tree of life. Basically, you could say they turned their backs on God. Amen? For he's the author of life. The deception was... First of all, they were blessed. They were blessed. God blessed them. Amen. We, we can read that. Uh, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. 
over all things. They were blessed. But the devil just planted the thought, there may be more. There may be more that God hasn't told you about. He's withholding something from you. And that thought was, maybe we can be like God. And that's been the case throughout all of Israel's history. Amen? I mean, you can read the entire Bible through and through. And over and over and over again, you're going to see these stages as Israel goes through it. They're blessed, prosperous, happy. I mean, in Solomon's time, silver was counted as like gravel. It was just tossed out in the street, worthless. Everything was gold. There was so much prosperity. They were blessed. Then, once they were blessed, they start to get content and lazy in their faith. Then, they start getting what I would call apathy or apathetic towards the blessing. They start taking it for granted. Oh, we're blessed. You know, God's blessed us. We're good to go. And then apathy begins to lead to compromise. Well, I know that's wrong, but you know, if you want to do it, go ahead. Soon, compromise leads to rebellion. This is what I want to do. I don't care what you say. I'm doing it. Rebellion then leads to discipline. Initially, if there was rebellion in the land, the discipline would come from God's people. Then it was taken over by the uh, Pharisees, you know, a judicial council. We'd call it the courts today. And then discipline, if it's not accepted, and the people still continue to rebel, leads to dispersion in Israel's history. But that dispersion, when they realize what has happened, it leads to repentance and a call upon God to forgive them of their sins, which he does, and then gathers them together and blesses them again. So you have They start off blessed, then they get lazy and content, then they have a growing apathy towards the blessings, they take it for granted. That leads to the beginning of compromise, which leads to rebellion, which leads to discipline, and discipline, if it's not accepted, leads to dispersion. And then dispersion, they realize they've forsaken God and turn their backs on him, God in turn has turned his face away from them, and that leads to repentance and asking God to forgive them, and he does, and that leads to being blessed again. All right. When Israel failed to guard itself, its special Place. I mean, th- this was God's people. God formed the nation of Israel because he loved his man. Amen? God, well, 
man loved God so much, they made the United States of America because they love God. And God honored that. He prepared this land and blessed it because it was being inhabited by men that loved him. So much so that the founding fathers, when they, when they you know, made this country and the Constitution, they incorporated the Old Testament into it. As a matter of fact, when uh, the pilgrims first came over here, before they got off the boat in the Boston area, they made the Mayflower Compact saying they dedicated this nation to God and that they would live according to the word of God. And they did. If you look at the first settlement in Jamestown, Virginia, and the settlement of the pilgrims up in Boston area, Plymouth Rock, Jamestown failed. Why is that? Well, although they were Christians that were down there, their primary purpose was money. They had the Jamestown or the Virginia Compact. They came there to farm tobacco and ship it back to Britain for the purpose of making money. The pilgrims up in the New England area came there for the purpose of living for God. Jamestown does not exist today. But yet the colony, uh, I can't remember the exact name of the town, it's not Plymouth Rock anymore, but uh, uh, I can't remember. But it's right in that area, you, know, you can look it up. But it, that town's still there. Amen. See the difference? One was to get and the other was to give. One was to get things from the new world. The other was to give their lives to God in forming this nation. And just a uh, hundred or so years later, a revolutionary war came and America relied completely on God. There was absolutely no way a group of misfits should be able to defeat the most powerful military in the world. But they did. And then they came together in the Constitutional Convention in uh, Philadelphia, Constitution Hall, and formed the Constitution of the United States, which incorporated God's precepts throughout the document that has withstood the test of time. Amen. This nation was founded upon the word of God. Oh, I was going to tell you, the pilgrims, uh, William Bradford actually proposed making the national language of America Hebrew. Amen. So that meant that they knew Hebrew. They knew the word of God in Hebrew if he was going to make it the national language. Amen. So here we are, now 230-some years later, and we've turned from a nation that wanted to give themselves to God to use in the, the establishment of this land, a nation formed, founded, in worshiping God and living for God, and in turn being blessed by God and protected by God, 
we've turned to a nation or into a nation that has turned our backs on God. And we're going to get into some of that. I want to go over a few more things first, though. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy 31. Amen. Hallelujah. Deuteronomy 31. We're going to look at verse 17. What happens when the people... We can actually look a little bit in verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, Behold... You'll sleep with your fathers. In other words, you are going to die. And this people will rise up and go whoring after the gods of the strangers of the land, where they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant, which I've made with them. Verse 17. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day. And what happens? I will forsake them. I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and many troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, now read this carefully, are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils that they have wrought in, that they are turned unto other gods. Are not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us? Is that where America is today? Is it because we see all these things taking place, all the economic problems, uh, natural catastrophes one after another, Uh, Last year, in 2014, was massive drought, especially in the California area, where 60% of the, the agricultural crops were just done, which impacts the whole nation. Are not all these evils happening because our God is not among us anymore? Turn over to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17, and we'll look in verse uh, 7 to 23. 2 Kings 17, beginning in verse 7. For so it was, now everywhere I say children of Israel or Judah, I want you to think about the United States. For it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord our God. And had feared other gods. I'm not reading every word from these scriptures. I'm going down through. But everything I'm reading is here. Let me just put America in there. So it gets to the point that I'm trying to make. For so it was that the children of America. Sinned against the Lord their God. And had feared or gave respect to other little gods. And walked in the statutes or ways of the heathen and of the kings which they had made. We elect our kings. Amen. And the children of the USA did secretly those things were which not right against the Lord their God. Initially, we start out doing secret sins. Amen. For up until about uh, oh, 10, 15 years ago, if you were gay or homosexual, they, the term is you stayed in the closet. 
What you did in your own home was up to you. Today, it's blatantly out in the open. Gay pride parades and celebrations and and the President of the United States even established a national gay pride day or whatever he calls it. Initially, it starts out secretly. You're sinning secretly against the Lord your God. They burned incense in all the high places. That's offering up prayers to the little gods. As did the heathen, the heathen, whom the Lord carried away before them and wrought wicked things. They did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. They served idols, that's false gods, where the Lord has said unto them, Do not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against America by all the prophets and by all the seers, saying, Turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Notwithstanding, they would not hear. But they hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected the Lord's statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers. When the United States was formed, on the day of his inauguration, George Washington at St. Peter's Cathedral in what is now Ground Zero, New York City, prayed and dedicated this nation to the Lord God. How far we have fallen. They rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them. And they followed vanity. Think about that. They followed vanity and they became vain and went after the heathen that were around them. The heathen, those that have no covenant relationship with God concerning whom the Lord had charged them, do not do like they do. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove, in other words, and worshipped all the hosts of it. In other words, they started worshipping nature instead of God. They're worshipping creation instead of the Creator. And they cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. That's abortion. Abortion just to keep your lifestyle. You're sitting and doing things that's supposed to create life. But because it's going to impede your lifestyle, you decide to have an abortion. They use divination and enchantments. In other words, seeking the evil spirits of this world. You can see that in the New Age movement with their channelers and, and their astrology and, and their seers and, and all of that stuff. They sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord. They gave up their families and sold themselves to provoke him to anger. In other words, they're doing things on purpose Because God says, don't do them. The attitude in this nation now is, you can't tell me what to do and what not to do. 
And if you say don't do that, I'm going to do it just to show you I can do what I want. That's rebellion. Therefore, verse 18, the Lord was very angry with America and removed them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah. Now that's from which Jesus came. Amen. So there, you could say that the only ones who are going to survive this coming calamity will be the Christians. And also Judah. <laughs> Listen to them. You think, yep, yep, that's right. Uh, you know, God says that, that his people will be delivered. The remnant shall be saved. It won't come anywhere near you. And you can hear a lot of preachers talk about that, that, about that in America today talking about all these coming calamities will come upon the United States. There's going to be an outpouring of God's judgment, but thus saith the Lord that you will not be touched by it. Thousands shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but none of it shall come near me, nor shall any pestilence come near my house. You hear preachers talking about that. And trying to get people to believe that. But what they're doing is saying, since you're a Christian, since you're born again, you can do what you want because God won't take it out on you. Well, folks, I have another thing to tell you. Keep reading. Verse 19. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes that the other Americans had made. And the Lord rejected all of the seed of Israel, or I should say of America. The Lord rejected all of them and afflicted all of them and delivered all of them to the hand of the spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. And he ripped Israel from the house of David. You could say he ripped America from the land they were planted in. And then they made other kings, drove Israel from following the Lord, or they drove America from following the Lord, and made them sin, a great sin. For the children all walked in the sins of the kings that they made, and they did not depart from them, from the sins, until the Lord removed the nation out of his sight, just as he had prophesied by all his servants, the prophets. They refused to repent of their sins as a nation, individually and collectively, even those who were of the house of Judah for the nation of Israel, and thus it shall be, even those who are Christians in the United States of America, shall be removed out of his sight, just as God prophesies. Now, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to look at why God 
is just in doing what we just said. I know this may not be popular in what you're hearing, but I'm giving you scripture to back it up. You've heard of the, or you should have, the book The Harbinger by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. And this is the scripture he used to talk about that entire book. Isaiah 9, verse 10. Relate this to the 9-11 attacks and the, the towers collapsing and all that. The bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down but we will change them into cedars. Look, drop down to verse 13. For the people did not turn to him that smites them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. After the 9-11 attack, initially, you know, you had all of the members of Congress praying on the steps of the Capitol, and churches were just flooded with people. I was scheduled to preach the Sunday after 9-11. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's that sermon, the and there was none of the Harbinger stuff or anything was well known or, or known, you know, publicized. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I prophesied this was a warning shot over the bow, you could say, of America to repent and turn back to him. That he had lowered the hedge of protection just for a moment to bring this calamity to pass. The worst mass murder and attack in this nation's history. 2,600 people dead. Two towers, the Pentagon, the other plane probably going to the Capitol, crashed in Pennsylvania. It was, the hedge of protection was lowered. That's what I preached that day. The hedge of protection. God lowered the hedge of protection. He withdrew his hand of protection just for a moment for America. And there has not been another successful terrorist attack on this land since then. All right? That withdrawal was just for a moment. It was designed to catch our attention. And it did, initially. But, after just a little bit of time, when there were no more attacks, you know, we had the war in Iraq and Kuwait and, and all of that. Verse 13, the people did not turn to him that smote them, neither did they seek the Lord of hosts. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord will cut off from the nation head and tail, Branch and rush in one day. The coming catastrophes that are going to happen to the United States, economically, socially, spiritually, is going to happen in one day. It's going to happen so fast, nobody will have time to prepare. I don't know what it will be. It could be, you know, the terrorists, ISIS is... You know, and their allies are seeking nuclear weapons. Iran now has uh, 
an intercontinental ballistic missile capable of reaching the United States of America. And they want the nuclear bomb. They've already said it doesn't matter if everybody in Iran dies as long as they can take out the great Satan for the furtherance of Islam. They do not care if they die. Usually when you go to war, it's because a certain nation wants something. And the argument escalates and you have a war and then the winner gets what they want. And the nation that loses finally loses enough people that they don't want to lose any more people and they surrender. Iran and Islam is not that type of enemy. They think it's an honor if they die in battle. They're willing to die as long as they promote Islam. That's the difference. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this. Not only are we looking at terrorist activities and national terrorism with Iran and Pakistan and uh, Turkey. Turkey, who was a Western ally, is now turning more and more towards the Eastern allies. Iran's partnership with Russia. All the problems going on in Syria. The rise of ISIS, the spread of ISIS. And despite the claims of this administration that ISIS is not Islamic and does not represent Islam, what does ISIS mean? The Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. The Islam. Islam is in their name. So you can say it doesn't represent Islam all at once. They're saying they do. Amen. Look at verse 16. The leaders of this land... Cause them, the people, to err. And they that are led by them are destroyed. The policies of America now. The promotion of immorality. The promotion of do what you want. It doesn't matter. If you're happy, be happy. Don't let anybody else tell you you can't do something. Time. How much time we got? Okay. Look over at chapter 10, verse 1. Woe to them that decree unrighteous decrees. Woe to them that write grievousness which they have prescribed. To turn aside the needy from judgment, to take away the rights from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of visitation and in the day of desolation, which shall come upon you from afar? To whom will you flee for help? Where will you, ha where will you go with your glory? For without me, they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. God is now withdrawing his hand from America. 
you could see the beginning of the withdrawal as more and more catastrophes come upon this land. I've seen reports that the economic condition of this nation right now is really just, if you have this house of cards, it's just one card that needs to be removed and the whole thing is going to collapse upon itself. China and Russia and something like 12 or 13 other nations have entered into agreement that any oil dealing shall be in the yuan, Chinese yuan, not the American dollar amongst that little group of people. For decades, the dollar has been the stability worldwide. Everything was traded in dollars, U.S. dollars. China has now approached the International Monetary Fund to get their yuan listed is one of the currencies that could trade. you got the Swiss francs and the dollar and a couple other things. They want the Chinese yuan to be part of that little group. That's the next step. And then as they become internationally recognized, they can now tell all these nations, uh, we're not going to accept the dollar, we want the Chinese yuan. And we're, we're allowed to do that because of this agreement. When all these other nations stop trading in U.S. dollars, you know, since the collapse in 2008, this nation has printed trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars of debt, of worthless paper currency, not backed up by anything but the good faith and credit of the United States. China has bought trillions of dollars of that. But they've told the U.S., we're not buying it. We're not, we're not going to buy as much anymore. And right as the U.S. was getting ready to emerge from the Great Recession, is when China made this decision. So what did the Fed do? You see, the Fed is the one who is printing this worthless currency and then selling it to other nations in exchange for trade treaties and you know all this stuff, which is the national debt. Okay? Promissory notes. Not backed up by anything. They can't find buyers for it anymore. China says they don't want it. So what does the Fed do now? They're buying their own notes. They're buying their own worthless currency, hoping for a turnaround. It's like a family in financial crisis that uses credit cards to pay their bills. You're borrowing money you've already borrowed. You're going further and further in debt. There's coming a time when the Fed, you can buy all the paper stuff you want, but it's not going to be worth anything because you got more and more of this currency flooding back into the market of the U.S. So if, I'll just use an example, a cup of coffee is $3. That's the, you know, a market is exchanged between a buyer and a seller reaching what they conclude is the value of this cup of coffee. But if I know 
you have $100 in your pocket and I got that cup of coffee and the guy next to you and the next one and the next one all have $100 in their pocket, I might charge 30 bucks for a cup of coffee. Who wants it? Uh, I'm not paying $30 for a cup of coffee. You turn around and walk away. Second guy is like, hey, I'll take it. And the third guy says, that's all the coffee you got. I'll give you 50 That cup of coffee now is established as a retail price of $50 instead of $3. Now, multiply that amongst 300 million people, and you have all this money, currency, flooding into the system. That gives rise to hyperinflation. You know, a $200,000 house now costs $2 million. But guess what? Your income is a $1 million a month. So you can go ahead and buy it. A $1 million a month? Brother Bob, are we going to really get that much money? Well, I'm just using that as an example. Let's say your income is $100,000 a month. $100,000 a month right now sounds really, really good, doesn't it? But equate that out through hyperinflation, that $100,000 might only be worth $1,000 in today's dollars. So it's not really that good, is it? I'm just using that as an inflated example of what hyperinflation will do. All right, and that is what is coming to America. That's just one of the economic calamities. The stock market. I've seen reports that the stock market is going to take a huge hit. Everything is overvalued again. They did not learn from the first time around in 2008 about dealing in junk bonds and things like that. You've heard the term banks are too big to fail. Companies are too big to fail, like GM in the last uh, recession. There will be nothing the government can do to bail them out this time. People will lose their retirement savings, their jobs. There will be high unemployment. That means no income coming in, and yet hyperinflation is taking hold. That's going to lead to widespread poverty throughout this land. Jesus said these would be the days that we live in. Turn to Matthew chapter 10. I want to show you something. Brother Bob, what should we do? What should we do for this? Well, Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. As you go, preach. Preach. Share the word with everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Brother Bob, you're talking about all these calamities and you want us to go and do a Bible study? Absolutely. Because remember our list. Remember our list. First, you're blessed. This nation was blessed. Extremely. Most prosperous, most productive nation on the face of the earth. Nobody could defeat our military. But because of that blessing, we have gotten lazy and content. And apathetic towards the blessing. We took being blessed for granted. This has led to compromise. We know certain things are wrong. We know certain things are not allowed scripturally according to biblical standards. 
back in the 60s, 50s, if somebody got a divorce, that was like the gossip of the town. Oh, did you hear so-and-so got a divorce? If someone had a baby out of wedlock, I mean, they went to live with relatives far off. It was just not done. Homosexuality, that was definitely in the closet. Now, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Now, the out-of-wedlock birth rate is sky high. It's normal. Homosexuality is normal and celebrated and promoted. It's in the public schools, down in the, even down as far as kindergarten with books like I Have Two Daddies or something like that. It's being promoted. That's compromise. And now, if you speak out against homosexuality, against abortion, against whatever you want to pick, you are labeled a racist, a bigot, a hater. You're being told you can't say things like that. A few months ago in the city of Houston, the mayor demanded sermons She wanted to review the sermons of the churches in her town to make sure nobody was preaching against homosexuality. That's coming soon across America. She had to withdraw, but that was just, again, the shot across the bow about what's coming. Amen. That has led to rebellion. Rebellion leads to discipline. That's where we have been. All these things that this nation has gone through in, say, the past 10 years is the discipline of God trying to get your attention to turn back to Him. Which means next is the withdrawal of the hedge of protection and the dispersion of America. I'm not saying that Everybody in this country is going to live in other nations. But in other words, we are not going to be able to govern ourselves anymore. And that will lead to repentance, but it'll be too late. You don't have to go through that. Jesus says right here in Matthew 10, preach, as you go, preach, share the word. The word of God is the standard. Tell everyone you know, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These are the days Jesus talked about. You can see it happening right now. Repent of your sins. Turn back to God. Scripture says he'll turn back to you. And do you know how you can prove to them that what you're saying is true? When you preach like that, Jesus said in Mark 16, these are the word, these are the signs that will follow them that believe. Well, here they are listed right here in, in Matthew 10, verse 8. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, and cast out devils. That's how you gather the attention of people who don't know the Lord and prove to them that what you are saying is true, and they'll listen to the rest. Amen. Turn over to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, we're running out of time. Verse 24. 
This is where we're at now. Another parable Jesus said to them, The kingdom of heaven is like a man which sowed good seed in his field. The United States started out as a field with good seed in it. But while men slept, oh, they slept. Instead of keeping the field, guarding the field, they slept. The enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. When the blaze started springing up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So as the fruit's coming up, they realize, hey, there's weeds planted among us. And the servant says, should we come and, and you know, take out the tares? And he said, no, no, because then some of the good seed will be affected also. He said, you know, didn't you sow good seed into the field? He says, oh yeah, an enemy has done this. And they say, well, you want us to gather out the tares? You want us to just get rid of them? No, no. Last while you do that, you root up some of the good stuff also. In other words, if we were to have dealt and, and just, let's say, stoned and killed all the homosexuals, that would have offended some Christians and they would have lost their faith as well. So no, no, let them both come up. But in the time of the harvest, I'll say to the reapers, gather together first the tares and bind them in the bundles and burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. The tares are what we see springing up in this land today. The tares are bringing fruit. Their fruit is starting to come to pass. The tares are yielding their fruit right now. Which also tells us that the fruit of the harvest of Jesus is about to be collected as well. The time is drawing to a close. Flip over real, real quick to Matthew 15, verse 7. 15, 7. Jesus said, You hypocrites, Isaiah did well prophesying of you, saying, This people draws near me with their mouth and honors me with their lips. We say we are a Christian nation, except our president says we're not a Christian nation anymore, which is true. But the people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, because in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That, for lack of time, we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 5 again. Isaiah chapter 5, where we finished, where we started is where we'll finish. And then we'll take it up there next time. Isaiah 5, verse 5. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do to this vineyard. Remember, the tares are beginning to yield fruit. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'm going to take away the hedge from around it. And it shall be eaten up. I'm going to break down the wall around it, and this nation shall be trodden down. Basically, and we'll go one more scripture. Revelation chapter 3. Basically, the United States is like the Laodicean church. Chapter 3, Revelation 3, verse 14.
to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write these things. These things saith the Amen. These things saith the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. In other words, I know what you're doing, and you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. If we were cold towards God, he could send laborers into this field to witness about the goodness of God. But he can't do that because we say we know it already. If we were hot for God, he could bless what we're doing. But he can't do that because we're not hot for God. He says, I wish you were either cold or hot so I could deal with you. But because you're lukewarm, you're not cold nor hot, I'm just going to spew you out of my mouth. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I don't need anything. Don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? My counsel to you is to buy of me gold tried in the fire, precious things, that you may be rich, white raiment, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness does not appear. Anoint your eyes with eyes so you can see. Because as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore. Repent! Behold, I'm at the door and knocking. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And to him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. And I'm going to leave it with this. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. That's where the USA is today, folks. We are like the Laodicean church. We think we're rich. We think we're blessed. But Jesus said you're blind, poor, miserable, and naked. Because we do the works of darkness. We pick and choose which parts of the Bible we want to say are valid. When it comes to the part of the homosexuality and things like that, oh, that doesn't, you know, the Bible isn't a, 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 like the president says, oh, the Bible is a book written, you know, 2,000 years ago. I don't see how it could apply to today. But it does. Remember how we started in the garden with Adam not guarding the garden? We've seen examples today throughout Israel's history where they were guilty of doing the same thing. Not honoring God, not guarding their nation by worshiping the God that created them and honoring the blessing. You took the blessing for granted. Look at Jesus in the garden. We don't have time to go there. What did he command his disciples to do his last night before he was arrested? Watch and pray. That word watch is the same root word of the Hebrew word that we said means to guard that he told Adam over in the Garden of Eden. Adam in the garden failed to watch. The enemy snuck in. Jesus in the garden told his disciples to watch. Instead, they slept, just like we've seen with the tares and the wheat. They slept. They failed to guard the garden. And Judas walked right into the midst of them. From one, from the one end of the Bible to the other. It's the same thing. We are failing to guard the garden. Repent right now. Tell the Lord, 
if you don't know him as your Savior, bow your knee and ask him to come into your heart right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I pray for the forgiveness of my sins. I realize some of the things I've done has separated me from you and from the Father. I repent of that. Come into my heart. Take over my life. Help me to live my life as a Christian, as an example to others, that they could be a Christian too, that they would repent of their sins as I repent of my sins. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. Amen. Let us know. This nation needs to bow its knees and honor Jesus. We need to turn back to the Father. According to 2 Chronicles 7.14, if his people called by his name, that means not just every person in the United States, but just the Christians. If the Christians would repent of our sins and turn back and ask God to forgive us of our sins, God would honor that. Forgive our sins as a nation. Turn again and heal our land. He would hear us. He would honor that prayer. He said he would. But right now, we have turned our back on the tree of life and we're looking at the fruit, the forbidden fruit, which we are told not to partake of. And because the devil made it look pleasant to our eyes and desirable, we want it. But we need to turn our back on the suggestions of the devil and turn our back on him and turn our face back to God and the tree of life, and we can live forever. Amen? Glory to God. That's all the time we have for today. Oh, thank you for being with us. Uh, If you got any questions, please email me at brotherbob at ftfm.org. Until next time, this is Pastor Robert Timothy. God loves you, we love you. Greater is he who's in you than he that's in this earth. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.